Der Fußball ist zurück in der zweiten Liga. Und läuft dann in Keeper Freisel rein. Ayrdale vollendet. 4 zu 0. Beste. Ball kommt in die Mitte. Und zu Kleindienst. Kleindienst. Güter. Linke Seite ist blank. Vielleicht. Ja, vielleicht. Vielleicht zieht er ihn in Salazar. Tor. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Svarta Bundesliga podcast. We are back after our short hiatus, thanks to that pesky international break. But match day six was upon us, and boy, were we treated to an incredibly strange but exciting and very predictable in many ways uh, weekend of Svarta Bundesliga football. There were upsets, there were teams that were in desperate need of wins and, and were able to do so. And there was one game which we'll get to in group three that really is hard to explain, but we'll do our very best to do so. Uh, to help me get through all of the action from Match Day 6, it's freelance journalist and German football expert Chris McCarthy. Chris, first of all, welcome to the Spider Bundesliga um, podcast. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to discussing a pretty wild match day. <laughs> it is, first of all, my pleasure to have you on. And yes, it was... Carnage, I think that might be the best way to describe it because you never know what you're going to get after an international break. Um, and I think the first game in particular might be a great example of that. Uh, we'll start with Schalke and Magdeburg, the top spiel game. It was looking ominous early. Magdeburg were dominant in the early phase as they scored twice within half an hour. Both goals from Silas Knacker, who essentially, he looked like Yaya Toure in the early phases. He was fantastic. Um, and it was really going all wrong for Schalke. They were rightfully getting booed um, throughout the first half of a pretty meek display. Then they lose their goalkeeper, Marius Müller, who has been incredible for, for Schalke this season. Uh, and they needed they needed a spark, and they did get their spark before halftime. Some really good pressing on Jamie Lawrence. He loses possession. Sebastian Pulter gets his first goal of the season. Schalke kept that momentum in the second half, and... On 62 minutes, they equalize Lino Templeman with the intercept, and he finds Derry John Merkin, who gets his first goal of the campaign. Merkin was quite impressive in this game, and uh, he gets his first goal of the campaign. On 67 minutes, Magdeburg would retake the lead. Conor Krumpicki with an excellent goal to beat Michael Langer, who was the substitute goalkeeper. But you are your most vulnerable once you've scored. And two minutes later, Schalke would equalize once again, this time a Thomas Uvuyan free kick. And it was a gorgeous free kick to beat Dominic Ryman. Someone had to win this game and it was the spot that would be the uh, the ultimate deterrent uh, when Daniel Heber fouled Sebastian Pulter in the box. Not only was it a penalty, but Michael Bakker gave him a straight red card. Pulter converting from the spot and Schalke getting a much-needed victory after what has been a very difficult start to the campaign for them. So, Chris, let's talk Schalke because it's been a pretty lackluster start to the campaign. One win in their opening five matches. They weren't impressive early on in this game, but I think the one thing that Schalke can take at least some sort of onus on is that they showed a lot of fighting quality, uh, not only to get to get a goal just before halftime, but maintain that momentum and take all three points. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it really didn't look like it in the first half an hour. They were really shockingly bad, abysmal. And um, yeah, you, you had some whispers um, prior to this game and in the prior weeks that 
things aren't going that well internally either. Um, and I think Schalke really showed some some grit, some um, determination, and some yeah some togetherness to come back in, in such fashion. And uh, so that's definitely to be respected. Yeah, absolutely. And and look, my fans of most football clubs, if not all clubs, they want a, a team that not only they can be proud of, but represents the the sort of qualities of the fan base. And and for and for mine. You know, the first half an hour, which was just, as you mentioned, Chris, just garb- it was garbage. That's what it was. They weren't up for the fight. They let Magdeburg dictate the play. The two goals were way too easy. And, <clears throat> excuse me, it needed it needed someone to step up. And Sebastian Paulser, who, let's be honest, hasn't had a particularly great time in Gelsenkirchen. He was a weird signing to begin with at the end, you know, the start of the Bundesliga campaign. Uh Second choice to, to Toronto in this in this fight of Bundesliga. Toronto's out, misses this game, and he staked the claim. And you could tell the emotions really o- overcame him throughout the game. He got he gets the first goal, and then just to score the penalty. Now I haven't seen you know many penalties celebrated with so much gusto, but but you can tell like this is someone fighting for a spot in the, in a team that has the all time leading goal scorer in this fight of Bundesliga. And he knows how important it was, and he, and he did show out in a, in a necessary time when Schalke needed a, a, a top presence. Exactly. I mean, it was um, exemplary about um, regarding the entire team and um, how they basically just just came back to life in that second half. Um, I almost feel bad for trying to say something negative right now because um, I actually thought that their comeback win, as great as it was, as great as it, as great as it was for their morale and everything, it actually was a result of real intensity, willpower and fight, but not so much of their footballing abilities, which mm. I think is a bit worrisome. Because if you look at the game, I thought Magdeburg were the far more impressive team in possession. They were much better on the ball, had a much better attacking concept, much mature way of playing football, structure, etc. We all know this from Christian Titz great football coach and a great team and Schalke are just not on that standard not on that level so um, as much as you want to praise them and rightfully praise them for coming back in this game I still think this game is a bit of a yeah was a bit of a worrying um, situation for Schalke because this type of football the way they came back um, you can't produce that every week that's not possible yeah 100% and I think that's the that's the that's the overall feeling the win is great, and it was much needed at a time where the pressure is very much on. Um, but ultimately, you know, this is—it's not sustainable. The defense is still problematic. You know, they haven't kept the clean sheet since match day two, and that was against the Kaiserslautern team that had nine men to end the game. So, you know, that's like it is problematic. You could see how easily Magdeburg were able to pierce through, especially in transitional play. And even with the man down towards the end of the game, they had the chance to to equalize. And if it wasn't for a really good save from Langer, we could be talking about a 4-4 and how Schalke blew the, the, the not only did they have the competitive advantage, but they blew a chance against a team that you know, had been in red-hot form. They've been brilliant. They've put six past her to the, you know, heading into the break. We know how impressive they are. But for m- the one thing that I thought about at the start of the season, and I still feel that way, the only thing that's going to hold Magdeburg back from being in the serious conversation is their defense. It- it's a problem. Yeah. It's been a problem since they came back into the Bundesliga. And there's an acknowledgement that that's the case. And you look at the goals they conceded, turnover, at the edge of the box, 
turnover, you know, between halfway and the edge of the box. Free kick, which was a cracking free kick. And a foul that was a lot down to poor positioning from Daniel Haber. And unnecessary. Because if you see the replay, like, Poulter has a bit of Haber's jersey. If he just does this, puts his hand up, yep. unlikely Michael Bakker gives a foul there. And, you know, play goes on. Like, they're, <coughs> sometimes they're situational defending or even on the ball because of yep. because of the pressing from Schalke. It's the only thing that's holding them back because we know once they get the ball forward of centre, they are extremely dangerous. And they showed that with their efficiency throughout this game. Exactly, that's the problem. And um, they, they also lack a bit of maturity sometimes in their game. So um, as promising as everything is, I mean, I, I think it's hard to to criticize a team that's just playing the second uh, second season in the Zweite Bundesliga right now. But um, that's probably what will stop them from, from getting to the next level um, and perhaps battle for promotion this year. Um, but uh, overall, I mean, the, the developments there are just amazing. I watched them a lot in the, in the third league and it was quite, um, yeah, untypical to have a team that plays football in the third division mostly it's a lot of fight a lot of physicality and tits found a way to 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 get promoted with a really um yeah really good football and uh, easy on the eye and they are back to these qualities in the second league now and uh, yeah all they need is a bit more bit more physicality a bit more maturity especially at the back and they can go places 100% magdeburg are going to be taking on Paderborn, which will be an interesting game on Friday night. Schalke are in the top spiel once again. They will be at the Tour when they take on St. Pauli. That is a world feed game. Let's make our move to the Wildpark Stadion, South West. Pride was on the line when Karlsruhe welcomed Kaiserslautern. A packed stadium, 33,000 in attendance, saw a fascinating game of football. And it was started well for the visitors. Ragnar Ake, who has been every bit of the million-dollar man, he, on five minutes, headed home John Zimmer's cross, and he got his fifth goal of the season, celebrating in front of the travelling support. And that uh, infamous celebration he's got now where he draws his sword back into the holster, uh, that is his man. He's got five this season. Just for reference, he managed only seven goals with Greuther Furt in the Spider Bundesliga all of last season. Karlsruhe were very industrious in the final third. They had 16 shots in the first half. But what if I told you they scored none of those? The only goal coming from the spot when Kevin Kraus fouled Fabian Schleusner in the box. He would be kicking himself with the foul. You know he's trying to go for the ball, but once you're a little bit late in those situations, you know the player, the offensive player is going to go down. Easy decision for Dennis Eitzkin. Marvin Vanitek from the spot. He scores, and the score is 1-1 at the break. Both teams traded chances in the second half. Really liked Aaron Apoku off the bench, but the game was really won, or drawn in the end. The goalkeepers were the difference in this game, both Julian Kral, who is really making strong cases to be the, the undisputed number one in Kaiserslautern, and Patrick Druez was also fantastic in this game, and that is the reason why this game ended 1-1 in the end. Plenty of shots from both sides in the end, but... It has to be said, goalkeeping was the difference, and um, 1-1 was the score. I'll get your perspective, Chris, on the Kaiserslautern side of things. They entered the, the match day in some really good form. It feels like a good point, even though they might be a little bit disappointed to not get the bragging rights. There's some good there's some good positive steps in there. I really loved the poker off the bench. He looked really lively when the game needed a bit of injection from Kaiserslautern. Um, what's your impressions from this game from, from a Kaiserslautern perspective? 
Yeah, I think I think on the one hand it's a good point as you said, but as you also said, um, they might have some regrets because um, as good as Kaiserslautern have been recently, um, I think it was more the case of them being efficient again recently than having such great improvements overall in their game. Um, they are sort of reverting back to the more passive and reactive approach, which I'm not the biggest fan of, but it seems to be working right now. And I think that was actually a problem in Karlsruhe because Kaiserslautern started off quite well. Um, Karlsruhe weren't really into, in the game and Lautern scored immediately. Great assist from from Zimmer, um, who, who was, who's been quite good recently. And, um, and then again, Kaiserslautern do it every time. They have the lead and they just drop back. They drop back, invite pressure. Um, Karlsruhe didn't really find find a way through for a long time, but then they got stronger and stronger and stronger. And then Kaiserslautern don't find a way to get back into the game. Um, that's a bit of an issue. Second half, they started off lively again. And then again, despite not scoring, um, they, they dropped back again. So, yeah, I'm... I have mixed feelings about uh, these type of performances by Kaiserslautern. On the one hand, of course, their defense is a bit shaky, um, especially Kevin Kraus, who, who looks a bit slow at times. Um, on the other hand, you just invite pressure, and that's uh, yeah, that mostly does not go well. Especially away from home. Like, you can kind of get away with it when you're playing in front of, at the Frischfelder Stadion, where the crowd's on your side. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a tricky place to play. We know how good Lautner are, are playing from behind. But it does seem they trip themselves up in a way, especially against the better sides. Like Karlsruhe are no mugs. They were missing Lars Stindl, but Matonovic had five shots. All of his five shots were in the first half. Schleusner was busy. Good sides will find a way, and, and albeit through a penalty. Yeah. They, they, it did seem as the half went on, Karlsruhe were about to find a breakthrough. And, and even in the second half, as you mentioned, it was almost a carbon copy where... Karlsruhe certainly seemed the stronger side as the, as the half progressed. And if it wasn't for some really good goalkeeping from Julian Kral, who yeah. is showing his quality and, and, and a good reason why he's kept that spot after Luther got the red card in, in on match day two. Um, so, so, so how do you think, how do you think Kaiserslautern should change that approach? I mean, it's obviously not easy. Schuster likes to be a very, you know, I wouldn't say very defensive, but he wants his teams to be quite solid in that area. It does, unfortunately, as you say, uh, lead to quite a, a lot of attention and eventually teams will find a way through. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think they've been, I don't know if they've been um, a bit too insecure about uh, playing a more dominant football because if you if you have a closer look at the first few games against St. Pauli at home and Schalke away, first of all, very tough matches um, yeah. anyway. And they actually tried to play a bit more football in those games, especially against St. Pauli at home. And... It just didn't work um, or they, they, they weren't efficient enough, were a bit unlucky, etc. Um, and then they go back to a more reactive passive approach because things aren't going well, which is natural. You, you need to find a way to get results. You need to get back some confidence. And then you see you're being rewarded for it again. So um, I think Schuster sees that for some reason it's just working. And at the end of the day, it is about getting points. So I think that is, yeah, stopping them from evolving as a football team a bit. Yeah, and look, and in the end of the day, it is a results business, and that's that's how you keep your job in many ways. Is you yeah. you, you take points, and and they, you know, even though it's a single point here, you know, Karlsruhe have shown at home in particular they're quite a tricky side. They got the the point against Hamburg, and um, yeah, look, I think it's not a bad result for Kaiserslautern. Just a question of 
Will they open it up? You know, if you look at their fixture coming up, Hansa Rostock, Osnabrück, who we'll talk about in Group 3, you know, if there was a team that you'd want to open it up a bit, that would be a, a really good opportunity. And Hanover, who we'll talk about in that same vein, who, you know, the, that one we'll definitely talk about. But but there are definitely opportunities against certain teams. Look, Hansa Rostock on, on, on Sunday certainly presents an opportunity to open it up because they play a back three, the two wide players love to bomb forward, and you've got quick players on the on the wide areas You know that can exploit the spaces in behind. Surely there is an opportunity to at least try. You've got an, a striker who's in great form at the moment, five goals in six games. Yeah. You know, it just feels like for, for, t- for team evolution and, and for the players that they've brought in in the summer, surely the, the, the end goal is not only to pick up points, but to make to have sustainable football that will lead to high quality chance creation. Exactly, that's the point. I mean, I, I fully understood to to be a bit more pragmatic um, after the poor start in terms of results. Um, it, you just need to find a way to get points again. No, no issues with that. But as you said, I, I hope they just um, yeah have the courage to to play a bit more dominant football in these games against opponents which you should beat especially at home and because if Kaiserslautern want to go places and we all know they do want to go places eventually at least mm. um they will have to evolve as a team no doubt about that absolutely from Karlsruhe perspective it's been a bit of an up and down <clears throat> season for them they've certainly had a bit more success away from home there's a disappointment factor for them as well because if you look at the stats it looks, you know, it looks very pretty. They had they were much more ball dominant. They had tons of chances. They're still integrating Matonovic, who they, they brought in on loan from, from Eintracht Frankfurt. They have the pieces. I think a lot of people were quite bullish on Karlsruhe at the start of the season. You can see what they're trying to do under Christian Eichner, but, you know, at some stage, it's one thing to have heaps of opportunities on goal, which they were one of the highest, you know, shot total teams on this match day. But it's another to convert those chances. And in the long run, if you don't convert those chances, all you do is bring more pressure onto your defense. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. And although they did have a lot of shots, um, not too many of them were sort of really high quality shots, I thought. Mm. So um, they do produce a lot of shots, but you could see Lars Stindl was missing. You could see this final decision, this final pass uh, was missing in their game to really get these these 100% chances. So um, yeah, they definitely have to improve in terms of um, their decision-making and efficiency in the final third. Otherwise, it's going to be uh, tough to, to make this next step. Lots of people were expecting. Without question, Karlsruhe uh, on the road. They're playing Grotefurt on Saturday. And as mentioned, Kaiserslautern welcome Hansa Rostock on Sunday. Our final Group 1 game takes us to the Max Morlock Stadion, the pride of Frankenland, or Franconia, however you wish to pronounce it. Um, was on the line, Nürnberg, Grotefurt. Massive game, Friday night. Big atmosphere, 47,000. And this game, phew, interesting. Furt, who had been in... Awful form, winless since match day one, were desperate to fix everything. The defense had been in all sorts of awry. Could they improve? Nürnberg have evolved under Christian Fiel. Gone to the days of pragmatism and just being awful. They have a footballing brand with young, led by young players like Chan Uzan, and they actually are interesting to watch. But they didn't start particularly well. They conceded on eight minutes. Wonderful ball in from Julian Green to find Damien Mikowski. He loves a header, that man. Heads home past Carl Klaus. Now, this was an interesting game because both reserve goalkeepers start play this one. No Christian Matenia, no Jonas Ubik. Carl Klaus, Andreas Linder, wait between the sticks. 
Nurnberg were much better after the concession. They pushed and they pushed and they pushed. And eventually, in stoppage time, much like in the game we previously talked about, a penalty was given. This time it was um, a bit more clear-cut, more of like a rugby tackle, I would think is what it looked like. Penalty was given by um, the referee, Robert Hartman, and Chan Uzan scored from the spot his fourth goal of the campaign and his second penalty that he's conceded, he scored. Uh, majority of his goals have been scored at home. Nuremberg switched it up. They chucked Uzan. He was the man at the time. He played further forward in the second half, and that really worked. They were able to catch um, Furton at all kinds of dangerous spaces. But inefficiency was the unfortunate part for Nuremberg in this game. They had a ton of high-quality chances in the second half, but they did absolutely nothing with them, and ultimately the game ends as a one-all draw. Doesn't feel like a one-all draw this particular game. I thought Nuremberg were much the better side, especially in the second half as the game sort of progressed. Uh, they've clearly got someone in Urzen who showed his tactical uh, dynamism, the fact that he went from an eight role to playing further forward. Okunuki was quite good on the left. The, <coughs> the signs are there that Christian Field is slowly building something a bit more uh, interesting in terms of an attacking sense. But yeah, they still have that same sort of infidelity in front of goal. They were the equal worst goal-scoring team last season with 32 and again, you know, they, they had the chance to win this game and unfortunately for them, they weren't able to secure all three points. Yeah, um, I think they were the better team in the second half, but at the beginning, they didn't really get out of the, out of the gates, I thought. Um, you could see that Nuremberg have a much younger team this season. You could see that Fürth were a bit more ready for this derby, a bit more aggressive to begin with and more dangerous at the beginning. Um, was a bit uncharacteristic for this new Nuremberg to have a bit less of possession at the beginning, at least. Um, but they fought themselves back into the game. There were two changes at the half. And um, you could also see uh, Kastrop, who came in. He injected some more aggressiveness to the side. And then Nuremberg were really up to it. And as you said, much better team in the second half, had the chances. Yeah, it's... Um, Bit of a bit of a mixed, uh, I guess, some mixed emotions for both teams in this game. Both teams had the chance to get away um, with the win, um, but they had, at the end of the day, I think both teams can be encouraged with their important performances too. Because as I said, Nuremberg second half showed great signs, looked much more resilient and uh, much more active. So I think um, Christian Fiel will be happy with how his team came out of the game, even though the chances weren't converted. But as so often in football, I mean, the, the goals will come. If if you create chances, you will get there eventually, and that is the most encouraging sign. And same for Fürth, I think, um, showed a lot of intensity, um, much more like Sonny likes to play. So, yeah, it was a draw, but I think um, at the same time, both teams will be quite happy with their performances. Yeah, I think when we talk about Fürth, and the one thing that was lackluster in the game against Hertha was that intensity um, a few weeks ago. I, I like the look of Lempele and Abiyama leading the line. I, I'm I'm still not convinced that having Zabeni, for example, it's like having another, just a lesser version of Hagota up top. You know, we saw a bit of Z. Petkov was in and out. But yeah, like what made Ferd good in the game against Paderborn, if you take away the fact that Paderborn had 10 men for 90, nearly 90 minutes, was the fact that they pressed intently. They limited passes in the defensive half and on turnover, quickly getting players forward. And they kind of went away from that when they started conceding a lot of goals. But they, you could see, especially early on in the game, 
and they took the lead. They kind of kept going at it. And then Nuremberg were able to find solutions to break the pressing. You know, I thought Dumas was quite good as well in this game in midfield. So it, it's quite fascinating. But I, for, for me, Furt needed to sort of stem the flow a little bit. It's been a rough few weeks. It made you question whether the opening game of the season was an outlier, which would be quite fair assessment. Um, but they, they definitely need... They, they do. Their biggest problem, I think, at the moment is they, they've got strike. All their forwards seem to be out of form at the moment. None of them no. are really dangerous. Like Limpolis had moments. Abiyama has has moments. Zeb has moments. But the problem is they don't, none of them are scoring. And if for this system to work, for Sonica's system to work, not only do you have to press well, but you have to convert your chances because not every game you're going to have high qual- high volume. And this was a great case. They didn't have high volume of shots, and you know to only get no. one goal would be still quite disappointing, even though. It's a better result than they've had previously. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's that's the big issue. Um, I still think overall things were heading in the wrong direction at Fürth. Um, you could see that that the team, yeah, was was there, there were some doubts creeping in at least, and um, that's why that's what I meant with encouraging because they were so much more intense in this game, much more compact defensively. Um, I thought um, bringing Michalski back in in central defense helped a ton. I mean, his his goal was great, but he was a, he had a very good game regardless of his goal as well. So you get some compactness back as well. But then, as you said, you need to convert his chances up front. You need to create a bit more high volume opportunities. So um, this will be the main main factor Zonica has to work on in the coming weeks. Absolutely, and it doesn't get any easier. They've got Karlsruhe on Saturday, which should be a fascinating game. Nuremberg are at Eintracht Braunschweig, and they will feel that they're a genuine chance of picking up all three points. Let's take our first break, and on the other side, we'll get to our Group 2 game, and boy, do we have a humdinger to begin. Starting at the Ösfarum Arena under Kaiserlinde, it's Elversberg and Hamburger SV. Exiting out of the international break, Hamburg were hoping to maintain serve. They were heading, they were top of the table. They went to Elversburg, a team that had recently scored their first win in the side of Bundesliga, care of beating Osnabrück. And this was going to be a fascinating game because Elversburg's previous encounter at home was a 5-0 defeat to Fortuna Dusseldorf. And they were hoping not to repeat that. And it didn't look like it was going to start particularly well when Robert Glatzel put the ball in the back of the net early on. But he was offside. There was a little theme. Offside. Goals disallowed. There was three goals disallowed in this game. It was kind of a crazy one. Uh, what was also crazy was that uh, Dennis Hansi Kardunic completely lost his mind and was dispossessed by Yannick Rockelt. And Rockelt just immediately put the ball uh, past a very confused and frustrated Daniel Hoyer-Fernandez right in front of the travelling Hamburg support who essentially blocked out that entire uh, end of the ground. So 1-0 to... Elvisburg. And to be honest, Elvisburg were really good in this game. Uh, even though the, you know, the, the numbers will, will point towards a, a quite a, a strong Hamburg performance. Didn't really feel that way because Hamburg made a ton of mistakes. Uh, not so much on the second goal they conceded. A beautiful footballing move. Actually, really nice football. Finished off by Lukas Schnellbacher, who got his first fight of Bundesliga goal. Uh, Moritai gets a consolation goal in 89 minutes, but it isn't enough for Hamburg, who were left frustrated. They had two goals taken away. One because of the offside, as we mentioned with Robert Glatzel. The other foul in the build-up from Ludovic Rice. <sighs> These are trap games for Hamburg. Promoted teams are trap games for Hamburg. Uh, 
I remember I was reading a stat somewhere that since they've been in the Spider Bundesliga, they have a lot. They have. Oh my god, I cannot speak. They have lost to at least one promoted side in each of the six years they have now been in the division. And classic trap game. And look, they were a bit unlucky with you know some of the goals being discounted, but correctly discounted. Um, but they just went up for it. I think that was the one thing that stood out. If we're talking about you know games that on paper they should have absolutely rickrolled Elversburg and it kind of played out that way almost like there was a um, there was a bit of sort of like egotism that oh we should beat them and Elversburg brought the heat they brought some really good pressing and I don't begrudge Elversburg winning the game I thought they were really good and, and Hamburg were for mine uh, mightily disappointing uh, especially considering their first five games of the season have been quite good yeah, um, I think it's it's quite easy to say um, same old Hamburg after this game. And I understand where this is coming from because they were sloppy. They were maybe a tad arrogant every now and then and a bit complacent. But on the other hand, um, maybe it's a bit too, too soon to jump to these type of conclusions again because it's been one game. And uh, as you just said, a lot went against them. I mean, a, a stupid mistake at the beginning, uh, offside goal, um, another goal was ruled out for a foul. So a lot went against them. And on, on the other hand, also Elversberg had a great game. Um, I think I was very impressed by them. So, um, yeah, of course, Hamburg have to have to listen to this criticism because they just had these games too often in, in recent years. But on the other hand, let's wait and see how they react to this game because, um, as I said, a lot lot went against them, especially away from home. These games just do happen. doesn't matter how good you are, these games do happen. So I think the most important thing will be to see how they get out of this game. Yeah, and look, that we suspect there'll be changes, whether they bring in Guillermo Ramos, who's had a pretty solid-ish campaign i mean his his best game was the one he ironically got sent off in against hanover um he should be available for the next game and maybe they bring him alongside sean Lau. didn't think hansi kadunic had a particularly good game and uh it looked very nervous <coughs> on the ball but yeah a lot to love what about elvisburg did you know yannick rockelt is someone that we've talked about on this program quite a bit someone who plays with great intensity brings a lot of space and it certainly seemed in in the way that they were playing the game they wanted to get a lot of ball to him, especially in the final third. He does make things create. He did have hit the Elversburg goal uh, that was chalked off was him, was Rockelt being offside. But he he's a, he's a fascinating player. He was very good in the Drittsliga last season and it, and slowly but surely he's getting that form uh, back into the Svater Bundesliga. Yeah, and I think he sort of represents the entire team uh, from Elversburg. Um, I saw him a couple of times in the third league last season and... They are actually a quite impressive side and an interesting team to watch. They are. They remind me a bit of um, maybe Magdeburg in one sense, and um, also if you want to go to another extreme, sort of a bit like like Brighton. They do a lot mm. with limited resources, and they have a great concept. They have a great manager. Um, you can just see how well coached this team is. Everyone knows their role, and they do produce some very nice football as well. And um, you could see uh, in this game as well that they are slowly adjusting to the second league because in the third league they were used to being the better side as an overall team. And um, you could see that in the second league they their quality just is up to it to play that type of football. So slowly but surely they are taking a bit more pragmatic approach without losing their um, their great football um, in the entire team. So um, 
you could see that was a type of game where things were coming together. They had great counterattacks. Their second goal was very well. Um, uh, there was a, there was a great combination prior to that, and their defense is really becoming strong now. They were very compact against Hamburg. Of course, they should have conceded one or two goals more, but they had a great uh, great performance from Christoph in goal. So um, I think they really deserved their three points in this game, and it should be a very encouraging sign for them because. I can see them actually um, staying in the league. I think they should make it because they just have this overall quality. Yeah, and you talk about the defense because that's the one thing that all promoted sides you worry about and how they're going to adjust to the life in the Spider Bundesliga. In my opinion, they they probably should have more points currently than they do. They were great in Hanover and Hanover yeah. were awful in that game. And the Hansa game is such a rare one where it's not going to be often that a team is going to concede twice in minutes 101 and 104, it's just not going to happen. Um, but, you know, bringing in Fred- Frederick Yakel, who was with Armenia Bielefeld last season, uh, you know, someone who I quite rate quite highly from, you know, being that he's part of the uh, the Leipzig setup, he's been a really good injection into stabilizing that defense, along with Kevin Connor at the club captain. Um, but it does seem like there's a lot more stability and protection because uh, that was probably the one criticism you had with the team. They've, they've, uh, especially in games like the Dusseldorf game, for example, which you know Fortuna were just unbelievably efficient. Um, because they do like to play the high line in possession, and I think they've found a system now that not only works with the the, the defensive core, but also protects Christoph, who was, as you mentioned, very good in this game. But uh, a goalkeeper can only be as good as what's in front of him. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's the point. They, but 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 that's getting better. I think you could see that uh, defense is really sticking together now. And I thought their midfield was very good. Uh, Shine had a good game in mm. midfield. Um, we know how good Jakobsen is, and that's helping. And you can just sense that everyone is adjusting more to their defensive responsibilities. Things that they didn't really need as much in the third league, and now are getting accustomed to. So I think that's that's an overall sense in the entire team to to show up their their defense. Absolutely. They are away at VN Wiesbaden, so they get another crack at uh, a fellow promoted side, Hamburg. Uh, well, they have an opportunity to bounce back against Osnabrück, and one would suspect they will, or will they? We'll find out. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about Hamburg's city rivals, St. Pauli. They hosted Holstein Kiel yesterday, if you're listening to this on a Monday, Sunday, and... Kiel had been in great form in the top three, heading into the break, looking great, playing some some nice football. St. Pauli sputtering. It had been a trying start. Finding the back of the net had been a serious issue for Fabian Hertzler's side. Boy, did they have no problem raffling it off on the on uh, on Sunday, and the quality of goals that they were managing to score was outrageous and it started on four minutes when Connor Metcalf who came in for Jackson Irvine who unfortunately is going to be out for a significant time uh, due to an injury playing on that silly AstroTurf at AT&T Stadium against Mexico like the fact that they didn't play on actual grass is annoying because if Irvine misses the Asian Cup then you're going to have a very angry Australian uh, but anyway the Australian who replaced him who has typically played in wider spaces he got to play alongside uh, Marcel Hartl in the Irvine role, and boy, he was superb. He scores a cracking goal, and I mean a cracking goal. As quoted in Australia, we call it a thunder bastard. It's look, it's a net, it's a net buster, it's a bullet. The man has a tractor for a leg. Insert any superlative. 
what it is, was a massive goal. It was a glorious goal. Because then three minutes later, another goal of the month contender came in from Eric Smith, whose delicate free kick beat Timon Viner. They made it 3-0 just before the break. Uh, not so... This this was a bullet shot, but probably not an outside range uh, performance. Uh, Dapo Affeline gets his first goal of the campaign. 3-0 at the break. It was for St. Pauli. Kiel made change because change was necessary. Uh, Lewis Holtby was one of those changes, and he brought some fight to a Kiel team that wasn't really up for it in the first half. He scores on 51 minutes, and you feel like, hmm, maybe, maybe they're up for it. But then he had to get subbed off because he probably should have had a second yellow card in this game. He was very lucky. I think Marcel Rapp knew that he was on borrow time. I mean, he two minutes into his appearance, he got a yellow card. So he was very lucky not to get a second. Um, and then St. Pauli just reascended. Lars Ritzoff with an effort from outside the box. And Marcel Hartzel, who for mine had been the player of the game up to that point, he'd been incredible in controlling the play in the midfield. He scores a belter from outside the box, and it's 5-1 in what was one of the weird, just a crazy Sunday of football. But that is the St. Pauli that we expect, not them scoring four of their five goals from long range, but dangerous in the final third, dynamic, you know, players getting in behind, you know, a very, a relatively fragile kill defense, if we're being honest, not, they were missing a couple of their first team regulars, but they were opportunistic and dynamic and that's that's what they needed. They needed a big outburst game, and Kiel was their victim. Yeah, it was a bit of the the, the catch up principle. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the the last year, the last weeks, they had so many chances, missed so many chances, and then worldy after worldy. And um, I think uh, Marcel Rupp said it after the game. He's never seen a team score five goals from 0.96 <laughs> xg. So it was absolutely crazy. Um, so um, yeah, I mean. They forced their luck, I think, in, in recent games. They didn't have the luck recently, and now they did. Um, and they had a good performance um, overall, regardless of that. So I think um, these, these type of games, they can give you a good boost. They can spark maybe your efficiency up front. So, uh, yeah, it, it could be um, a sign of things to come. Absolutely. I just know that Timon Viner must have woken up on the wrong side of the bed. You know, a, a stray black cat ran in front of him. He walked under a, a, some sort of ladder. I, I, he, he probably stepped on a crack. He must have done something wrong in the morning because no goalkeeper is going to see four worldies just jump into the back of the net in the way that it happened. But look, I, I, th- I think for Kiel, you know, we know that they've had troubles defensively over the you know the, the journey with Marcel Rapp. But for me, I like I'm willing to give this game a pass purely from the fact that yeah, they weren't all high quality shots that they were conceding. Yeah. Um, <coughs> You know, they were just unbelievable belters that would make anyone's top four goal of the month and they get them all in one game. But yeah, I look, they've had a, they've still had a really positive start to the campaign. We know what they like to do up front. But this was just one of those games where in the opening 45, Pickler, Machino, Skripsky were just, they didn't have a chance. Because as every time, you know, much like we'll talk about the game in Group 3, every time St. Pauli went forward, they looked extremely dangerous. They got into great areas. And even though... Eggestein and Ilya Starr didn't score. Albers almost scored. You know, this game could have easily been 6-7-1. And then you would look at the numbers and be like, how did that happen? And, you know, for, for Kiel, it's a, it's, a classic, it's a classic reset game for them, I think. And um, they're, still, they're still much better than they were uh, 12 months ago. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, I fully agree. They they just looked overwhelmed after just 10 minutes and, and you just can't blame them because they didn't do too much wrong. And then it's already 2-0 through two outstanding efforts. So um, the result was too high. I mean, that's a fact. And um, yeah, I mean, Skabitsky said after the game as well that it could be a warning at the right time because... Um, the game got out of hand. They weren't even that bad. I mean, of course, they deserved to lose, but they weren't even that bad. And uh, still, it could be a bit of a wake-up call because the result was so extreme. So um, I don't think Kiel have to be worried too much, um, to, to be honest. So uh, they do look better. Um, they had a positive start. And as I said, this, this could be a bit of a warning signal that they were getting maybe a bit too complacent recently. And uh, yeah, a good wake-up call. Absolutely. It's it's a defeat at the right time. And they welcome Herter on the weekend. St. Pauli, as we mentioned, they've got Schalke, and maybe we will see their new signing, Simon Sola, uh, get He didn't even have to come off the bench. He wasn't needed. They gave him a little bit more time. Um, almost certain we will definitely see him uh, in their game against Schalke on Saturday night. Our final group two game brings us to Rostock. Hansa Rostock welcomed Fortuna Dusseldorf. Both teams have had pretty good starts to the campaign. Uh, but one player who has been a real find for Fortuna Dusseldorf is Christos Tsolis. The Greek midfielder has really bolstered this attacking force. And once again, he has scored four goals in three games for him. And it was a beautiful goal. He cuts inside and curls that ball into the far corner. Marcus Kolkahu, we rate as one of the top goalkeepers in the division. Not a chance. It was 2-0 uh, on 35 minutes when Andre Hoffman headed through from the set piece. Uh, he would not play too far into the game. He actually injured his shoulder. Uh, how they will atone for him, whether it, most likely it will be Zebert, um, you know, we'll see how that goes. Uh, <clears throat> Rostock did get a goal back from a set piece. It trickled off the knee of um, Jasper van der Verf to make it uh, 2-1 at the break. And as the chances piled up for Rostock, oh, they had some unbelievable chances at... Uh, Juan Jose Pereira probably had the best of those chances where they actually were able to break through uh, the Fortuna defense uh, and he whiffed on an effort. They had their chances in this game and more annoyingly for them would be the fact that the third goal came, essentially the ball starting from Kastemeyer's goal line. They went one direction and uh, Jonah Niemic uh, would eventually score the goal to make it 3-1. Fortuna Dusseldorf at top of the table, thanks to this result on goal difference. I think, much like myself, we were a bit unsure about what Fortuna Dusseldorf were going to bring to the table. Losing key contributors in the final third, guys like David Kovnatsky, Ruven Hennings, and you were unsure whether the likes of Daniel Ginsek, for example, were going to be good enough to, you know, Vincent Vermeer, who just signed as well, whether they were going to be good enough to help improve this team going forward. But the signing of Christoph Solis, I almost have to go back to it, from Norwich, has been an incredible signing for them. So dynamic on the left-hand side. He's such an aggressive player as well. You know, he and decisive. I think that's the key thing. If you look at his all four of his goals, one of them being from the spot, decisiveness in the final third. He knows what, what spot he wants to get to. And he doesn't mess about. And I think... Dusseldorf were lacking a, a, a massive creative player on a wide area to complement Felix Klaus on the right. And they've found it. And since he's been in the team, the results have gone in the right direction. They've won three on the bounce. And they're top of the table. And to be honest, 
it's hard to argue it. Second best defensive record in the league as well. You know, they're, they're playing some great football and they warrant their place where they are at the moment. Yeah, I'm, they, what I find very impressive about Düsseldorf is that they're finding different ways to win as well. And um, they've developed um, lots of resilience and grit in their team. Um, in the first half, they were all over Rostock. And I think from the, yeah, just before the, for the half, um, Rostock got much stronger. Düsseldorf weren't as good anymore and weren't as present anymore. But they could rely on key players to perform. So, I mean, Engelhardt has been very good for them recently. Mm-hmm. Um and especially customer and goal. I mean, they just could rely on him to to um, to make up for some some miscues up front uh, in in defense. And um, that's that's what that's the looks of a top team to find ways to win even if you aren't at your best and to have uh, key players step up. And that's what hap- what's happening at Düsseldorf. And you have these unlikely heroes as well. You said Nimitz, who scored the um, who scored th- this three one. Uh, he is barely featured this season, and he's stepping up at these occasions. So these are all these things um, which have the makes of uh, of a good campaign and a good team. Absolutely. Uh, Johannesson as well, who they signed before the end of the window, yeah. the uh, Icelandic midfielder. He's also been quite good. And he's actually, you know, him and Engelhardt are keeping to Oe Tanaka, who is a very high quality midfielder and is Bundesliga quality, in my opinion. They're keeping him out of the team. And it's clear that, you know, <laughs> to, yeah. So this, which, which actually might not be a bad thing because... As, as great as Tanaka is and, you know, much affection for the way he plays football, it's unlikely he's going to be at Dusseldorf for much longer. And bringing in Johannesson, Engelhardt, who they brought in the summer, if this is what their midfield is going to look like, they're very stable, strong on the ball. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, you add Apple Camp into that mix of that midfield three, and they're very flexible. They, they're a team that can play both ways, and and it's so important to have a midfield group that isn't just a bunch of downhill skiers. They know how to get forward, but in transition, they get burnt. This team has figured it out in that sense. And it's clear that Daniel Toon, who probably isn't getting enough credit as he should do because he has turned a team that a lot of us were very unsure about into a team that is very impressive defensively. Players that are in massive form, Jordi Device in particular, struggled last season. He's been great. Carsten Meyer, as you mentioned, Andre Hoffman has been also good. They're all thing, all signs are pointing in the right direction for Fortuna, and just the question is whether this is, uh, let's say, um, whether they can maintain this effort throughout the mm. season. That will be the key for them going forward. Yeah, definitely, and uh, they had to suffer some big blows as well. Hoffman went off injured again; he just came back. Uh, Vermey uh, had some had a knee injury. Um, he's been quite good for them as a, as a target man and also uh, quite good in the press and his work rate has been quite good. So, yeah, I mean, they, they dealt with these uh, blows in this game. They showed resiliency there, but um, if, if, if they will be without these players for, for longer periods of time, it can yeah, catch up with them a bit, I guess. Absolutely. For Rostock, better in the second half, as, as you mentioned, Chris. And look, they've had a pretty impressive and efficient season under Alia Schwarz. We know the Schwarz way... <clears throat> He's being very strong defensively, but it's great to see that he's in in some ways opened it up a little bit. Has the wide players usually it's Neidhart or Schumacher. Now I know Schumacher made the the slight error for the third goal, but you know these guys have been quite reliable. They get the ball into dangerous areas. Um, I think they were perhaps a little bit unlucky to not get a second goal because in the second half they had some really high mm. quality chances. Whether it be Bramado who featured for the first time. 
Uh, Perea, Porga, we know, is quite dangerous. Um, but all things early on have shown that this team has evolved throughout the offseason um, under Schwartz because the biggest worry was they were going to be like Sandhausen of last season where the, the biggest strength of Ali Schwartz's coaching was defensive and that became their biggest weakness. But it does seem in the system that he's running for this team, at the moment anyway, it's definitely working, even though they didn't win this game in particular. Yeah, definitely. And um, I also think it is a, is a good sign that they ended the game somewhat on a more positive note because they were all over the place in the first half. And Schwarz did find ways to uh, to get back that compactness and at the same time to, to also um, force some great saves out of Kastenmeier and create some good opportunities up front. So um, they, they fi- found ways to make the adjustments and get better into the game. And that is always uh, a bit a, a bit better than the other way around to, to end the game on a bad note. So um, I think the potential is there and I think they, they should be able to um, to, to get things going after this game again. Absolutely. They make the long journey south to Kaiserslautern on Sunday. Fortuna Dusseldorf, they welcome Hanover. Let's take our final break. And on the other side, we'll discuss the final three games of Match Day 6, starting at the Heinz von Heiden Arena. It's Hanover and Osnabrück. Osnabrück were hoping to change their fortunes on a three-game losing streak, making the short journey to Hanover. Had a side that has started to pick it up. Two wins in their last three games, and they were hoping to make it three in their last four. This game had one key incident, but we'll talk about that in a second, uh, because Hanover looked very strong in the early phases, and they got their opening goal through Harvard Nielsen. Nielsen starting alongside Toykert, with Schell behind Nicola Trisoldi unavailable. So more of what we saw last season towards the end of the campaign reintegrating uh, once more. The Osnabrück side had a chance to equalise. Noel Neiman um, had a golden opportunity uh, just moments later. Uh, there's probably a joke to be had there about his former club, but I won't go there. Maybe maybe later in the season. Um, the big incident uh, featured Nicholas Weiman when he made a very clumsy foul on Harvard Nielsen initially given as a yellow card by referee Dr. Robert Bruin. But with the consultation of the video assistant referee, that yellow became a straight red. And Nielsen would double his advantage late in the first half uh, on 45 plus 1. 2-0 at the break. Lots to ponder for Tobias Schweinsteiger. Could they come out of the break at least stable, improved, and just manage the game and not let this game get out of hand. Well, that was all good for all but 13 minutes. And then it all fell apart. The foundations completely collapsing on themselves. And Osnabrück were left in absolute disarray. Five goals in the space of 22 minutes. Saw Hanover's two goal advantage end at 7-0. Two goals from Cedric Toykert. Louis Schaub with a goal, Derek Kuhn, and substitute Andreas Vogelsammer scoring his first goal for Hanover, saw what was what could be considered almost borderline bullying. It was just an incredible game, and you couldn't even switch it through the conference because as they would chuck it to another game, they'd have to go back to Hanover because Stefan Lytle's side had scored. Four consecutive defeats for Osnabrück. <clears throat> it was bad. And like 
you can manage games at you know at, at a man disadvantage, but they didn't do that particularly well. One thing that for me was consistent, and and I was as I was live tweeting the game, Osnabrück loses possession in the final th- in their defensive third. Hanover picks the ball up. Hanover scores. It was almost wash, rinse, repeat, and it's been a problem all season. Their defense, uh, especially in possession, the mistakes were clear and. There was nothing you could take out of this game from Osnabrück. They have a serious problem, and the Spider Bundesliga doesn't is not kind on the teams that are defensively weak. And Osnabrück are finding that out quickly. Yeah, I mean the the, the harsh thing is, I thought they actually started out quite decent um, before before the red card, before the sending off. They they were okay. Um, they they kept Hannover in check. Um, but then, as you said, the red card, everything fell apart. And it was really comical defending at times. Um, mm. Misjudging balls, technical flaws, <clears throat> lacks of concentration, carelessness. It was really, really poor. Um, I don't think Hannover had it that easy for a very long time. Um, <laughs> the finishes of the goals actually were quite impressive regardless. <laughs> but um, the build-up, it was made so easy for them. And, I mean, Osnabrück really have to be worried about uh, how, how things are going to continue from here on. Absolutely, and you look at the goal scoring record. They've conceded seventeen goals this season, which is three, which is four more than the second worst, being Elversburg. Uh, but the difference is Elversburg have two wins, Osnabrück a solitary draw, um, and that was uh, match day two against Paderborn. It it's been a problem. They've stuck. They've tried to stick with the same defensive structure. They play the back four, Jamfi, Weiman. You know that's been the constant. You take Weiman out of the mix, they have Patterson Chateau, who's not a centre back by trade at all. He's a he's a you know a six or an eight, and structurally they completely fell apart. As you say, just the basics. They just weren't doing the basics. And as a coach, yeah. that would have been extraordinarily frustrating because that's how that's how coaches lose their positions. Not you know, yeah. and we obviously don't know if anything's going to change. You know, it's it's very still relatively early in the in the morning in in, in European time, but. Like it's, um, it was hard to watch. Every time Hanover looked forward, they were gonna. They looked like they were going to score in the second half. It was just like I felt sorry for Leonard Grill because you know Grill has rightfully yeah. come under criticism for, especially at home. He for some reason can't defend the. He can't keep the near post. But there wasn't a whole lot he could do about some of the shots. They just they came thick and fast. And what should have seemed like harmless situations uh, to defend became just extraordinarily difficult and as you said Hanover who haven't scored seven goals in the Spider Bundesliga since 1995 when they did that against FSV Frankfurt yeah they haven't had it easy this easy for a long time and uh, well we'll see what they do next week because this is the thing this is an outlier game for Hanover they've never looked they have not looked this good under Stefan Lytle at all they have a game where they just absolutely obliterate a side but it doesn't for me it doesn't mean anything if they they come out and think that's what it's going to be like uh, on the weekend that's true but uh, on the other hand these games can really kickstart your campaign they can give you a boost they can spark uh, things so um i thought it was especially interesting that um lots of their um, attacking key players uh, had good moments. Um, so on the one hand, yeah, of course, as I said, it was made very easy for them to get into these situations, but the finishes were actually quite good. I mean, Kuhn's finish, Vogelsammer, um, those were really good finishes. And um, 
it's also very encouraging that um, that Nielsen was so involved, who mm. who wasn't really up to his best recently in the last half year or so. And um, that can give Hannover some options that can give them a lot of confidence this game. So, um, yeah, I mean, of course, they won't have it that easy again, but it can also do a lot with their with their mental state and their confidence. Absolutely. Two goals and an assist in this game. And uh, yeah, he and Toykert and all of them, they were the guys, they were brilliant. And the defense as well, uh, you can easily lax in games like this where it's so comfortable and you're in control and everything is going your way. But the defense was 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 strong. We've felt that this was the best three pairing with Neumann, Ariane Bay, Halstenberg, um, not Zeeler and Goal, who's, you know, you know, picture of stability. It's good for them. Like it's a confidence boosting, a clean sheet. You know something that was yep. that eluded them quite often last season. Uh, they would be quite happy with that as a whole. So Hanover, we actually get to see them have a good test. They get Fortuna Düsseldorf on Sunday on the road. What should be a very packed Spiel Arena. I think that's a really good test to see where they are because they've won three of the last four. Now they are yep. pressing the top six. How do you think that game might go? Because We've, we we lauded about how good defensively um, Fortuna Dusseldorf were going. But Hanover will be feeling very confident. They scored seven in this game. They scored three against Greta Furt, all coming in the first half. They'll be feeling pretty confident that their attacking force is in full flow. Yeah, exactly. I think it's going to be very interesting to see how, how Dusseldorf react to this game and how Hanover will, will come out of um, this Osnabrück game because... Um, not only the confidence, I thought it was also quite striking that uh, Hannover displayed a lot of ruthlessness. Um, mm. They kept going, the 5 0, 6 0, 7 0, just kept going, kept their foot on the gas. And they also uh, showed a lot of maturity because, I mean, the goals, they only came from the second half onwards, so after the red card. And until then, Hannover had to stay quite patient and mature. And they waited for their chance. So these are all good signs. And all that in combination, I think they can really test Fortuna Düsseldorf's defense, who looked a bit shaky in the second half um, against uh, Rostock. So it's going to be a fascinating game, I guess. Absolutely. Osnabrück, as we mentioned, they have got a Friday game against Hamburg. And that will be an, another extremely tough test, especially with Hamburg coming off that defeat to Elvisburg. Let's head to the <clears throat> Olympiastadion. Hertha welcomed Eintracht Braunschweig. Eintracht Braunschweig brought a massive contingent, pretty good contingent, it has to be said, to the Olympia Stadion. Over 42,000 uh, enjoyed a nice summer, summer-esque, it was a lovely day for football. Uh, but the only team that was playing pretty lovely football was Hertha. 3-0 win in the end for them. All three goals coming by Harris Tabakovic. He actually could have had five goals because two of his goals <laughs> were given as offside but he is the man seven goals this season he is the Spider Bundesliga's top scorer at the moment he has scored 58% of Hertha's goals this season they have managed 12 uh, it is their second consecutive clean sheet at home the last home game they had they beat Grotefurt by five goals to nil said it last week or last podcast and the, the third game the front three for Hertha is really interesting Winkler Fabian Rieser, who they signed from Kiel, Tabakovic, who, who who came, you know, they they pr- it's it's almost against what Paolo Dardai wants to do. They press really well, and as we saw with Braunschweig, who aren't particularly a ball dominant side, it gets them into trouble. You look at the first goal; the first goal just ch- shouldn't happen in in the way that it's far too easy when they lose possession. There's no urgency for Braunschweig to try and win the ball back. And Hertha were punishing when they 
when they just get the ball to Tabakovic, good things happen. And this, you know, the second goal was unlucky. You know, Griesbeck with the uh, the handball. He has he has perfect technique until Riza kicks the ball and then he flails a hand out, which you know a bit unlucky. But promising sides for for Hertha. If you exclude the fact they gave up six goals against Magdeborg, they still scored four. So attacking wise, they've improved twelve goals in the last three games compared to a donut in the first, in the opening three games of their campaign. So it does seem that structurally in the final third, they've got it together. Um, what was your take on Hertha? Because we know that they're, they're, they're a little bit easy to pick on uh, because of the last few, you know, the last couple of years. Um, but certainly does seem like with the front three they've got and, and they're, and what they're building, uh, they are starting to head in the right direction. Yeah, definitely. I, I also thought, um, of course, first thing that comes to mind is Tabakovic's performance. But um, what I thought was quite interesting is that they looked a far more balanced side uh, than in the first weeks of the season. They they looked like a real team. Um, all three phases of their team were functioning and they were functioning well together. Um, so they, their build-up play was much improved. And I think the main reason for that was also that Buchalakis played in midfield. Um, was his first start for Hertha. And he really injected some stability and um, some balance into the side. He was he was always available, always picked the right pass, and they are sort of forming a real spine in their team. If you if you look at Leisner at the back, um, Buralakis, and then Tabakovic on front, that has that has the makings of a good spine of a good team. And um, yeah, I mean the front three, um, not much to add there. I mean Reze looked really good at his uh, for his first assist um, for Tabakovic, and he just looks incredible. He looks like a prototypical second Bundesliga striker he has he's physical he's strong in the air he has the eye for goal he has a really good finish um so I mean that that is going to be a game changer for Hertha moving on yeah because that was the question heading into the start of the season and and they started the campaign with Niederlechner who came on as a sub in this game uh and Richter who is playing for Mainz at the moment <clears throat> so they've changed they've actually changed the, the 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 system as you mentioned and yeah interesting balance you've got two guys who playing fullback Dudziak who's not really a left back but was serviceable there Karbovnik who's I've, I mean from from all of last season watching him at Dusseldorf didn't play right back he played left back a little bit of center midfield and on the occasion if they played three at the back he'd be as a left midfielder they were good <laughs> like they, they, as you said they were balanced very rarely challenged and I think the, for me the one thing that really disappointed me with that Braunschweig's performance is just very toothless. They struggled to get the ball into the mm. final third. You know, <clears throat> you know their best chance of the first half came through uh, Gomez, who had that that missed head, that header that went over the bar. Uh, mm. Then Kuga had that chance in the second half, which took a wicked deflection and nearly beat um, Kaziguk, the uh, the rook, the the, the debutant goalkeeper. Like they didn't test the goal. This, this it's their third goalkeeper of the season, Herter, because Ernst was unavailable. <laughs> And they didn't test him. Like it just it, it minds the number. But I think a lot of that comes down to the fact that they they clearly lack a bit of creativity in midfield. Mm. They haven't replaced Emmanuel Fry. It was one of the things we talked about last season about St. Pauli when they when they when Kire, uh, Daniel Kofi Kire left for Freiburg. It took they they haven't found a you know they it took them to the winter window to replace him with Afalion. Braunschweig for me in the same window. They've brought in a bunch of players, but none of them really can do what, or at least do half of what Emmanuel Fry can do. And it does seem as if also a system thing with Hartle is limiting them a little bit from being a bit more aggressive going forward. 
Yeah, they looked they looked very disappointing, and uh, I think the right right word you used was toothless. Um, they they didn't really have the courage to go to attack either. I mean, if at all there were some some chances, they they stemmed from lots of coincidences and a bit of luck, I guess, and some a few moments. But I mean, it got a bit better in the second half, but I think that was mainly down to Berlin taking the foot off the gas a bit. Mm. So it's quite worrying for for Braunschweig. They need to find some ways to get a bit more. Um, they, they need to be a bit more dynamic, a bit more creative going forward. And uh, yeah, I don't see it at the moment. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's one thing to be very strong defensively, but we see teams get in trouble if they can't score goals or even provide production. Um, and I think Uja, you know, as as strong of a Svartopoulos striker as he can be, not much he can do when there's no service. And to be honest, you know, it's like going to the, uh, the Delhi counter and there's no tickets left, so... You know, or everyone's gone home. There's no service at all, so you you can't get your half you know your half chicken and some bacon, for example. So that's kind of that's kind of where Branchfire are at the moment, you know, or Kransky or whatever it may be. But that's where they are at the moment. It just seems that they they're lacking a little bit of you know punch. And and as much as I like, I'm a big Rob, Rob Torben Hoffman fan in goal. He was solid. He would be a bit upset about the uh, the third goal in particular. He gets a massive piece on that. But yeah, look, they've got some important games coming ahead. They've got Nuremberg. On Saturday, then they're at Rostock, and then Paderborn before the next international break. Um, the waters get choppy if they can't get results against teams that we think will be in the range of where they're going to be. It's going to be a long season for Eintracht Braunschweig. As we mentioned, Hertha, mm-hmm. they've got Holstein Kiel. They're on the road. That is a world feed game, but their their run is also quite tricky. St. Pauli, who were obviously you know, marvellous uh, on the weekend, and then at Schalke, also a tough road for Hertha, but I think with what they're doing going forward, at least, um, they can feel confident that they can get results against three pretty high-quality teams. Yeah, I mean, we will see how good they really are in, in these next games. I mean, um, of course, they, they've improved massively, um, especially attacking-wise. We know they're good there, but defensively, they were much better against Braunschweig, but it was only Braunschweig, of course. So um, we will definitely... Those will be good tests for them to, to see how much they have really involved as a, as an entire team and especially um, with the focus on their defense. Absolutely. Let's shift to our final game of match day six. It's Paderborn against Vien Wiesbaden. Uh, two very interesting philosophies of how the two teams want to play. Uh, and this made for a very interesting game. Paderborn were dominant for the opening 21 minutes of the game. And it was probably no surprise that they conceded from a counter-attack. Heinz Frosse with a goal, um, his first of the campaign. Wiesbaden then took the ascendancy. They were very good after scoring the goal. They had their chances, and they were also good early in the second half. Ivan Pratayan, this is the second time this has happened, where Wiesbaden are 1-0 up. Pratayan has a unbelievable goal-scoring opportunity, and he skies the ball six ways to Sunday. And they were punished for it. They were punished for it because Sebastian Klaas, he gets his first goal in 51 minutes and then he assists Nicholas Nige 2-1. Then Wiesbaden, credit to Wiesbaden, they, they kept coming forward. They had their chances. Pratayan had a chance. Gorpel had a chance. Iredale had a couple of chances coming off, although he for me he came on a bit too late, but he was impactful when he came on. But they didn't have the, the, the lucky punch. And part of the reason why they didn't have the lucky punch was Yannick Hoot, who 
is a very solid Swana Bundesliga goalkeeper. And in the in 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 crunch time when Vispan were were throwing the kitchen sink and everything every other household appliance, Yannick Hoots stood tall and scored Paderborn a, an important victory because it's been a tough start for them this season and they were desperate to get back on the winners list and. This this might help kickstart what has been a pretty tricky start to the campaign for them. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they showed a great reaction. Um, they you could you could sense at halftime that um, yeah the, the the team was getting a bit nervous and um, they seemed a bit uh, impressed by what had happened and things have not been going well for Paderborn and um, I think. Well, I do not know what uh, Kwasniok told his team at halftime, but they came out as a completely different team. Mm. Um, much more urgency, much more intensity in their game. And from there on, they really, really attacked Wiesbaden. Um, they still have their fragilities in, in defense. Um, you could see that, but um, it was a much better performance by Paderborn. Um, should be a really encouraging moment. And as you say, it could spark their season. They could have arrived now in the season after a very difficult start. And... Um, I mean, Kwasniok said it as well. He uh, at halftime he said um, that the team was really struggling, and he could sense that this was a very, very big moment in their season, and uh, they came out of it really well. So that is something they can definitely build up, build on. Absolutely. If you take the period from halftime to the goal, the second goal from Nicholas Nige, dominance from Paderborn. You know, sixty-two percent possession, eight shots to two. They really got the intensity going. If you consider the fact they had 16 shots for the entire game and they had eight of those in a 15-minute period, mm-hmm. it shows like like we know what they can do. They're a really good football side. They do a lot of good attacking things. And even when they brought Conte on in the sec- late in the second half and he had the offside goal and the one-on-one, which he should have scored, mm-hmm. like they've, they have a system that is proven at this level. It works it is difficult to defend against when they get rolling. And if you look at like some of the games they've had this season, for me, the Fortuna Dusseldorf game is the one that always comes to mind where they were all over. They, they actually they weren't all over. They were they were they were completely outclassed, but they found a way to win. But so often you see them at home, teams are just happy to sit back, let them come to them because they don't want Paderborn to turn it into a track meet. The moment it becomes a track meet, Paderborn mm. do good things because they've got quick and dynamic players in the final th- in that final third. And if you've got someone like a Muslia who is very good at, at distributing the ball into the channels and into the right areas, you create problems. But when Wiesbaden, you know, Wiesbaden for for a lot, you know, majority of the game they sat back, um, <coughs> they invited the pressure. And, and and to be honest, Paderborn in the first half in particular had a very hard time breaking that down and whatever was said at half time clearly worked because they were able all the spaces that weren't available in the first half that opening 15 minutes they were all open yeah it, it was very but it was very harsh i thought on on Wiesbaden as well because they actually as you said they defended quite well and it was probably one of their best performances in the season and um, it was very harsh that they they had this great chance to put it 2-0 and basically 30 seconds later or something, it was 1-1 and from, from there on it was very difficult for them. But they defended very well. They were quite good on the counter-attack as well, I thought. They were very direct there. Froes had a very good game, I thought. Um, so that's very harsh on them. But of course, Paderborn, um, it, it, they, they just overwhelmed Wiesbaden uh, in, the, in the second half and um, they had some very 
uh, good performances from Klaas, I thought, in midfield. He was very good. And, of course, Nudge, um, I think it was his first uh, first start for Paderborn. Um, he looked very good as well, very dynamic, uh, lots of trickery, lots of pace. And so uh, he really brought some elements into Paderborn's game. They were lacking a bit recently. Absolutely. We talk about Wiesbaden defensively. Only six goals conceded, which is the third best defensive record in the league. But the problem for them is going to be in attack. Six goals um, scored this season, which is equal second worst with Osnabrück. Eintracht Braunschweig, who we talked about before, uh, they are the worst attacking team with only three goals to their name. So, V Spartan, they will be welcoming Elversburg to the Britta Arena. And as we mentioned, Paderborn, another good test for them. They will be taking on Magdeburg on Friday night. That's it from us. It's been a chaotic match day six and I'm sure match day seven will be equally as entertaining and as chaotic and as drama filled as ever. Chris, thank you for coming on to the podcast. It's really, it was really great to talk Sparta Bundesliga football with you. How can our wonderful listeners find you on our, on socials? Yeah, thanks. First of all, thanks for having me. Uh, it was great fun to talk about uh, the second Bundesliga today. Um, I'm on Twitter or X or whatever it's called right now um, <laughs> under Chris MC under dash L I I. So <laughs> better put it in the show notes because it will be difficult to remember. <laughs> it will absolutely be in the show notes and all over social media. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for everyone who listened to uh, this week's episode from wherever you're listening to around the world. We'll be back next week to discuss all of the action from match day seven. So we hope you have a fantastic weekend of football and we'll see you then when the Spider Bundesliga returns. Yeah.